you'll look with me at your scripture this morning. We're going to be at the end of the Ten Commandments. So you'll be happy to know that conviction is not going to be a part of the, of, of the worship anymore. You're not going to have to struggle with all the guilt you've been feeling, Gina. And, uh, you know, my goal has been this entire time to, to use God's law in one of, the, one of its primary uses. And that is to get to the heart. To get to the heart. I don't know if I've done that successfully or not. I can't really get to your heart, can I? We're coming to the last commandment, and I think there's a purpose and an intention in way where it is, why it sits there at the end, what's, what's really going on. And so we're, uh, I want you to, will you speak God's word to me? Because I, I so need to hear it. Uh, tell us, uh, tell me uh, what Christ himself said about this Old Testament being his word. How, uh, tell me, what, what are we supposed to do with this? How does Christ tell us we ought to listen to his word? If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. We look here at the very last commandment. Let's take a look. And sometimes there was a time in the period of the history of the church which was numerated. It's common in Roman Catholicism to name this as two commandments separately. I don't think that's appropriate, and I think we'll see why. But uh, let's take a look here. It's beginning on verse, uh, verse 17. Verse 17. We're only going to read 17. Uh, and that's it. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray because I, I, I stand in a place I, I, I really need. And I sense it. I need uh, God's presence with me for this work. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. nor his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Father, I ask for um, you to have your way with us. Uh, have your way with the, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word, and his hearing. Uh, forgive the sins and the crimes of the man who speaks for, for so many. But go on and forgive the crimes of, the, uh, of all of us as we hear from you. For there are so many. We ask to see Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. There was a couple times, there's only a couple times I get to, I get to do nursery. And one was when, uh, when I was on sabbatical recently. And we don't have that many kids in the nursery. I think there were three that morning. And, uh, and I won't embarrass the parents, but you could probably figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but even very, very little children, and, and uh, you know, I have two older children. Uh, uh, children uh, early on in life learn, learn words, and one of their early words, one of the early words that, that, is, that is loud and insistent and used as a weapon in the nursery is mine. <laughs> and the loneliest, dirtiest little toy in the whole room, sitting neglected under a chair of no intrinsic value to anybody, 
I don't even know why it's still there. But if one child picks it up, what does Catelyn want to do? <laughs> if one child picks up, what happens on it? Mine! And then all of a sudden the archive, and, and, and a totally un uninteresting item that has no value, even to the child, suddenly becomes something they have to have. Why? Because somebody else has it. We are desiring machines. We are desiring machines. We want stuff and we can't we just want and we want and we desire and we want <laughs> let's turn now we're here now looking at this studying coveting together that word coveting right there you think it's, it's not even a special word it's a beautiful word in Hebrew it means to desire the pleasant and beautiful in the New Testament, uh, Paul gets a little bit clever, more clever using the word not just desire, but uh, greed. And, and then one of the words for coveting is, is uh, uh, muchness. I want more kind of thing. Uh, an, an acquisitive spirit in this. Pleonizia. Right. I need more, 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 more kind of attitude. I'm reminded of a story. I'm sure it's a parable of, uh, of, a, of a poor man, the poor beggar with a cup, uh, but toe to toe with a billionaire. And, he's, and the beggar the, the, the said, how much is enough? And the billionaire reaches into his cup, pulls out the coin, and says, one more dollar. You know? More. So coveting comes up at the end here. And, coming, and, and let's, let's look at this command for what it is. It's fascinating. It's repeated. It's the only command that's repeated with a different object. And that was why the the Catholic Church enumerated it that way. And the enumerating of the Ten Commandments is not even that important of an issue. But uh, it, 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 there seems to be. In the author, a repetition, especially in Hebrew, is extremely important. It means, pay attention, it's, it means this is very important. This is extraordinarily important. You'll, you'll find the Psalms, that kind of repetition back and forth. And so it's part of the, the, the Hebrew stylistic choices that communicate uh, something perfect or something whole or complete, whether it's negative or positive. You shall not come. You shall not come. Like, don't miss the point here. Don't miss the point. You shall not desire. But I, I wonder why it's here. So we're looking at its, at its, at its at another part is it's distinctively inner. If we were going to go through these commandments and you were to go through the first eight, pretty much, pretty much, there's a part of those. It's going to be external. You're going to see it. But this, in the Ten Commandments, this is the one that goes deeper than your relationship with God or any kind of public worship you could create or your relationship with others. Where you can look like a good man, and McLaren might think he's a good man, or I might think I'm a good man, or Melody might think she's a good woman, and, and all, we could all agree. But then along comes the inward command, the, the doubled command, the, what is, what's, what's going on here? What's, why, 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 why the end? And I think, I, I'm not a sports person, but I have watched enough baseball to understand the idea of a, a cleanup hitter. Or even a cleanup pitcher. Something, something about the way this kind of comes up in the law that it's like a, I, I think, think of it like a, like a broom. 
Think of it like a broom sweeping up the floor. And, and what I mean by this is you might have, you might have gone through all the commandments and still, despite my earnest desire to get, cut you off inside so you run to Jesus, you might still go, I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah, I don't sleep around. I am faithful to my wife. I'm not a liar. They go to church. I'm religious. And then all of a sudden, picture it this way. <laughs> it's gonna, I don't know why this came into my head. I should be always careful. Be, always be careful about saying things that come into my head. But it's kind of like this. <laughs> uh, when I was a kid, we were very cruel in my family, my brothers and sisters. And one of our favorite things was to trip each other. And, uh, and especially if you could kick somebody's foot while they're walking, so the back foot goes over and they fall down. And the other one's knocking somebody's knee. This is what it feels like God's doing to us. He's like, you're walking along, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm feeling good. And the guy goes, and you just feel everybody kind of go, just fall flat on your face. Who doesn't desire? Who is not a coveter? Who is it? I mean, honestly, if you were to remove coveting from San Francisco, you'd have, what would you, what would be left? <laughs> what would be left? But more than that, even in its catch all place, and it's in, in the way that it sits there, the way that it, it, it seems to be, it also in, in this wonderful way ties everything over, uh, everything together. Um, Paul says, when he's teaching the law, he says, if you break one part, you break them all. I, that's always kind of bugged me a little. It seems a little bit tough. You know, it's like I'm really, really messed up. You break one part of the law, you break it all. And the idea there is if you break the law, you break relationship with God. Therefore, it's all broken. It's just, if you're going to break it, you break it. But this one, it's like covenant. Can, it fits in with adultery, doesn't it? And why does a lot of murder happen? To get what somebody has. And, why does a, and, and so it, it's one of those... One of those, uh, uh, it has, seems to, uh, as it were, inform or, or work its way into all of the commandments. It's the state of the heart. Now, somebody might say to me, why, why is it sin? I mean, I, let's, let's play with this a little bit. Why is coveting sin? I mean, honestly, it'd be a defense of it. Adele, can I have some water? That, look, that sounds perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Um, oh, why is it sin? I, mean, I may be, I'm not just playing around here. Why is it sin? If you are a desiring machine, why are you condemned for desire? That's not fair. Like I'm, made to, I'm made to want things. As naturally as I could, I'm two years old, I'm grabbing things out of, my, out of other person's hands. What, why is it sin? Now, on the surface of it, we could say, okay, we always know desire for the wrong thing is sin, right? We, we could desire things we shouldn't have. And let's face it, you can't have, desiring something that you ought not to have, okay, that may, that's your neighbor's wife. You shouldn't have her anyway. There's already adultery wound up in there, but why can't I want my neighbor's mower? You know? Why can't, I, why can't I want his car? Like, I, I can't help it. I see his car. I want it. 
I see, I see his house, I want it. I see his career, I want it. Why does God blame us? Well, one, one perhaps that, perhaps that's part of the reason. A second thing I think about, though, is that it's not just desire, it's that gotta have it desire. Like that, 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 uh, there's another way this becomes sin because it's, it's a desire that masters you. Have you felt that? Like, you would, that brief moment, you know. We, Nobody's watching, nobody's looking, nobody knows what you're thinking as you look at that person, as you look at what they have, but it's an overweening desire, like, you know, like the, uh, uh, from just more. Are any of you collectors at all? Of anything at all? Anybody collect anything? Uh, bottle caps or anything like that? And I, what do you collect? Bottles of wine. Bottles of wine, that's true. <laughs> that's, and it's a perfect illustration. <laughs> As my dear friend McLaren, I'm telling you he's my dear friend because I'm about to throw him under the bus of Jesus. <laughs> but it's funny, you've got, I've seen you because you've talked to me about this. You get caught up in it, don't you? And it's insatiable. I don't want just this one. I want that one. And I want a rarer one. And I want, so we don't just want things. How, do we, how is it that we desire? We desire with this awful selfish, grasping, you know, more, give me more, give me more, I want more. And because we never satisfy. So you hear an idol banging around there in my brother's heart. It's okay. <laughs> he, I, I have the same. My, my, the things I desire are just not as noble as wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, else, what else makes coveting a sin? Is it a sin? Well, things get a little bit strange here, and I, and I, I actually I think there's something extraordinary. There's a reason in the tablets of the law that the punchline comes here, because not only is it meant to trip Deepak, to trip me, to get us to finally off of the self-righteous horse, off of the self-righteous posture, into submission, into hunger for God. Ah, yeah, I can do all that, right? But something else is going on. I think the sin of coveting is it spits in the face of a sovereign God. Because what is coveting really saying? You let me down. God, you're a cheat. You're a cheat. It's calling God a cheat. Because you didn't get what that other person had. It is a discontentment. And in the, in, the, in the strange way, all of a sudden the heart is unmasked. And the, the purpose and the, and the place of the commands to suddenly finally get to people who are constantly justifying themselves, constantly saying it's all over somebody else's fault, constantly wanting to say that they're okay because they do good things. And what does it do? It just unmasks you. And then in the end, when you don't get what you want, you hate him. And you hate him for it. When you want what she has in that relationship, when you want what he has in his career, when you want the position, God let you down. Didn't give you what you wanted. It's not fair. I want whatever it is. Now, uh, Christianity uh, and in the Christian tradition, there have been some big mistakes right at this point. Right at this point, and it really comes out of some Greek thinking and some wrong thinking about desire. 
Uh, actually, classically, uh, who teach it? There's a religion that teaches that all we have to do is get rid of desire. Everything I just described, uh, we could we could actually describe a lot of a lot of root problems come from what you want and desire. And the Buddha, and my father followed the Buddha for years, and the Buddha identified it with a, with I think an amazing insight. He does say desire causes suffering. Therefore, get rid of desire. You get rid of Suffering. Now, we could Christianize that and say, uh, 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 suffering comes out of wrong desire. We can play with that. But Christians have also gone down this path and made the mistake and of saying, you know what we need to do? We need to get rid of this desire thing I have. You know, you know what's wrong is that I, I have, uh, you know, the, wrong, the reason I'm, I'm full of desire is because I've got, you know, reproductive organs. So get rid of them. People, people, I'm not kidding, people have done that. People have emasculated themselves, monastically and otherwise. You know what's funny? It's not funny. It doesn't work. Sir Philip Sidney, in a famous poem, sonnet on, on, on desire, always love this sonnet. It ends with this line, it's quadrine, I mean a, a couplet. Making this my only hire, desiring nothing, but how to kill desire. Get this is my only job, my only hire. Desiring nothing else but how to kill desire. But you hear the problem that the Buddha has and Sidney has right there? You have to desire to kill desire. So you're stuck. You're hoisting yourself up by your own petard. You're in a logical fallacy. It doesn't work. You can't get rid of the thing and then need the thing that you need to get rid of to get rid of it. It doesn't work. Buddhism has had struggled with that problem since the beginning. And Christians who have taught these kinds of teaching have the same problem. Okay, enough said. I want to compare it to something else. Because I think the only thing that's going to get it back, get back to desire is if I can, if I can, Father, if I can do that, if I can, I can show you what God desires. See, nothing wrong with desire, because God's described as a God of desire. That's why we know. Desire itself. Sexual desire, uh, desire for things, desire for joy, desire for, for uh, relationship. There's a holy place desire lives. Because I know it lives in the heart of my God. He is described. He is a God of desire. And we, honestly, <laughs> evangelical Christians, and this is one of our failures for this world, one of our failures for San Francisco and other places, we, we can, it's a little weird to talk about God as a lover. Who wants to talk about, isn't that a little bit in, in like, doesn't that sound a little wrong? God is a lover. You know, he, we didn't call him a lover. He calls himself, I am a lover. I am a chaser, a lover, a romancer. I love, and I am filled with desire. Really? And then we start looking at the scriptures and, and, and the chase of God that starts being described as chase. Oh, and it culminates. It culminates in the kind of expressive language that Christ uses. Oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, he cries out. Oh, I long to gather you under my wings like a mother hand gathers her chicks. But you were not willing. Desire. Paul says, you know, God is so animated by desire. He desires that none should, be, none should perish, but that all should get 
Peter talks about it too in, in 2 Peter. And, and, and so in the, in the New Testament, we, we're, 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 we're given we're given a picture of God who, who, who in desire, in love, in, in passion, not only does he desire, he pursues. When he pursues, he takes. Yes. Do you know how you become a Christian? God decides his desire is too strong. <laughs> and he takes you for himself. Praise him. He is a God of monumental, eternal, constant, unflagging, passionate desire. And I want to tell you about a God that maybe a God that we don't, you know, it's funny, our visions and our versions of God are so antiseptic and they're so reduced and they're so lacking in anything that purchases for us or somehow gets to us and, and it shows us who he is. So the greatest privilege I could have as a pastor, as a preacher, would be to somehow for you to see, to make beautiful the love of God. <laughs> to make beautiful and immediate and available to you, my brother. God's love and chase and persistence. God covets you. God covets Yes. He covets you. I go as bullet point to, to, to make that point about God. Because I want to put it right next to everything we want, all the wrong desires we have, and all the wrong desires, all the wrong ways we desire them. And I put it, and I'm with that, and I feel so stuck. But then, I, then, then somebody else comes up alongside me with a greater desire than mine. And it's my Father in heaven. And his desire is not for somebody, it's for me. And what does his desire do? takes Jesus to a cross. What does his desire and love do? It takes him to a cross into death and the darkness of a tomb. What does his desire do? His desire rolls away stones. His desire conquers death. Are you ready for this? Anybody? Are you prepared? How can we be? He is the God of insatiable desire. <laughs> and that insatiable constant desire is why I'm still in the ministry. And why we can still have hope. So, I, I'm, I've stopped looking at my notes. Let me know. He is the lover, the God of love who pursues. So why is God's love so important when it comes up next to mine? Who cares about that? You know, when I really, it's funny, when we get things we, uh, when I get something we really love, now for me, it's, I like improving things. I like to fix it up, you know, little ways. This is my way my desires work. Put them on display. Right, if something doesn't work to fix it. So I'm like, huh, look at that. My father's desire is just like mine. Because what does he do? He makes me a new desiring machine. I'm a new desiring machine now. And I still have those old desires, but new ones are there now. I wonder. I still am caught. I still, I still coveting. Still, it's still so real. But now, what's, but now, I, now, just crying out loud. There are actually times, Gina, don't tell anybody, that I actually want to go to church. <laughs> and I work here. And so, uh, what is going on? 
new desire. And what are what God is in the is in the is in the is in the place of doing? And these commands, when they trip you up, and they, and they trip you, said when, and all of a sudden you realize you're upside down, you've wanted all these things, and your desire is animating your life, and the, our Father says, well, I'm going to give you new desires. I'm going to chase you in your desires. Make you, I'm going to make you want me. And if you desire God, you know what happens? <laughs> I get this when you desire Christ. When you desire the gospel, you know what happens? You suddenly keep the law. Let me give you some, some things that might help you in your walk this week. And the first is, and the first is this. I, I will read from my notes here. The first is, um, do whatever you can. I mean, I don't care what it is to make Jesus beautiful and desirable to you. See, a lot of us are just tired of, all, of the Jesus and the religious thing and the God thing. And, or maybe we're worn out or maybe we're disappointed. But it's not, be, it's not because of what you think. Your disappointment does not stem because you chased God so hard, you came so close, and in the end, he doesn't nah. Or you just didn't find what you were looking for. I, I guarantee it. No, it's because... You didn't chase him hard to begin with. How can I make Jesus beautiful to you? How can I make him beautiful to you? So that you will desire him like I do. Well, I know Jesus became beautiful to me when I realized the wreck and ruin of my life didn't stop his desire. It didn't stop him loving and chasing. Don't you get it? There are, people will stop desiring you. Of course they will. Because they want to desire something new or something better. Because you let them down. Who knows why? But not him. He is the desire of my soul. Because in him, I find all of this passionate love that has pursued me out of death and bondage and destruction. My, my dad was a drug dealer. We, lived in the, we were raised Buddhist. We were lost. We were doomed. We were damned. And by a flat-out miracle of love. Why do I tell the story? Because I want you to desire him. <laughs> and desire that. And desire him. God, the only way that Jesus is going to become beautiful to you is you get to know him. And what I mean is you need to read your scriptures and your Bible. It's funny to me how you don't, you know, a lot of times we're like, I don't have much passion for God right now. And the quick question is, really, have you ever read the scriptures? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, chase, and you will be chased. <laughs> chase him. And you will be chased. But there's a lot of puns that can play with So I, I mean, let, me exp- let me explain to you what my goal is when we go to the book of John next week. It is to make him desirable. And to make you want him. If God would so be pleased. Second, redirect. All right, let's just, you know, you know what you do when the kid goes, mine, it's real simple. Child psychology is so simple. And it works until object permanence becomes the, re- the real thing. You know what object permanence is? It means, uh, then they've studied this in child psychology, but for a child, uh, how old is your child? Four. Four? Full for him, you know, uh, he's, he's got object permanence by now. <laughs> but the, but the, if something's out of sight, your kids stop wanting it. 
Okay, that works. But they can still be really whiny. Well, just give them something else. <laughs> when the kid says mine, the other kid pulls back, and all of a sudden you've got a big old covetous fight that's just beginning to, beginning to bud, and which murder would probably be an option if they were big enough and had weapons. <laughs> what happens? You, you redirect, you give them something else. And it works like a truck. Kids, it works great. And if you keep doing that, you can, you can kind of manage a group of young children pretty effectively by constantly redirecting their covetousness. <laughs> you can do that to yourself. Redirect. Man, I really, want, I really want a guy like that, or I really want a relationship like that woman has, or I really wish I had that job. Or I re- Redirect. Get your attention off that. Because one of the things that will happen if you sit in a covetous place and you live there, it just gets worse. And so you, you dig, we dig covetous holes. You know, we, we, we dig holes in our desire that we can barely even stand it or, or get out of. Redirect. Uh, the refocus. And believe it or not, it works on kids, it works on pets, and uh, it can work for you. <laughs> Redirect. God, and make Christ beautiful. Replace your desires with other things. Identify some covetous parts of your heart. Do you know? Um, do you know that? Uh, do you know that uh, coveting is a great motivator? When I first told him this, I, I realized that one of the reasons I get up in the morning is because, and I have a career, is so I can get the stuff other people have, where <laughs> I can have what they have. Let me legitimately not take it from, but still. What motivates you? you know, this is a scary place to go, guys. Because if you, pull, if you pull coveting out of your heart, and if God does that work, and you place it with a deep desire for him, there is a party that kind of one day will go, why do I go to work? <laughs> and you realize your motivations, and your motivational structure is all attuned to whether it delivers what you desire. Catch yourself. Catch yourself coveting. There's another way you can catch yourself coveting. This is a coveting act that you, that you, would, not, you would not necessarily notice. Um, you compare yourself with other people. You compare yourself academically, professionally. You know, oh, she's such a great mom. Oh, they're such a great person. Oh, I can't believe the way she walks with God. Oh, hey, he's got, look at him. I, I'm not like that. I wish I was like that. Uh, I'm just such a loser because I'm not like You know what I hear? And we ought to be wise to start hearing? You're coveting. You're comparing is a covetousness. It's a desire machine where you think that imagine that you're deceived and you think if I can have that. Do you live, do you live by comparison? <laughs> yeah, they call it in, in ministry steeple envy. <laughs> Do you get that? Do I have to explain it? <laughs> Christ himself in our text says, guard yourself. Guard yourself against covetousness. Did you read it? It was in the confession. Guard yourself. So there's a picture here that Christ sees that we need to take an active part in this. And when I think of the active part in it, it's, uh, and I'll use Luther's old illustration. Look, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, can you? You can't. You really can't keep, your, keep the guy with 
So, you know, one of the things I cover is cars. <laughs> I know, I'm really shallow. And so, uh, I cover cars, but I also cover the success of other people. And, those are my, and by the way, the biggest coveter in the Bible is confesses his sin. Biggest coveter, biggest writer of the New Testament, Paul. Um, I want you to rejoice as you're exposed here and run to Jesus. This is a gift to you. When you see the coveting sin, you become aware of it now, and you're on guard, you can start running to Jesus more quickly. Well, we tend to be kind of slow, but no, no, do it more quickly. That's what Paul says. Sin springs to life. Turn to Jesus. Turn again. Turn again quickly. And be on guard. So you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, can you? But you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. We can live in covetous places. Um, you might need to stop your magazine subscriptions. Does anyone even have magazine subscriptions anymore? Um, what's your quick link bar on your browser? Do you have an entire coveting coin? Oh, does anybody have it? Be honest. Be brave. How many of you have one website that literally is just all about your coveting? Anybody? Can, can we just say, there we go. There we go. A couple of honest folks. Pinterest, thank you. Have <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you ever seen Rob Report? I mean, it, right, Rob Report is like the luxury, like it's like spending for billionaires. And it's, I'm sure no billionaire ever picks it up. What do they care? It's, it's a popular magazine for us. Because <laughs> we want the boat. Whatever. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair and address and guard yourselves like Christ instructs. I don't want to end this now. Be quick to Jesus. Give me some advice about comparing. But, oh, man. <laughs> Let me end with this. This is, why I, this is why I love Jesus. This is why I love him so much. Have you ever... Have you ever... Um, uh, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? Anybody ever loved that? They all stopped... In the motion animation one. So, um, I love the Island of Misfit Toys. And uh, if I had a vision for, for First Press, it would be that we would be the Island of Misfit Toys in the church. That's what I really want. I love Misfits. <laughs> oh give, it, give it up, give it up to you. Yeah, I know you're there with me. <laughs> Jesus reached down and he grabbed me. You know what he said? Mine! <laughs> Nobody else has ever taken me. Not out of his hand. Praise him. Let's pray. <laughs> it is written. You said it, my Lord and Savior. Uh, no one can come to you unless the, unless, you're, unless the Father draws him. And no, no one can snatch us out of your hands. I want more of you. I want more of you for my people. We confess together the sins of coveting that have, that have controlled us and animated us and driven us for so many years. And the way we've been lived in that darkness is so shameful. 
It's so shameful. I even, Father, I don't want my, my covetous heart to hurt my people. But we return now to your love. You, have not, you haven't denied us things because you don't like us. You haven't denied us things because you're a cheat. You haven't denied us things. You've denied uh, because you don't uh, think we need them. You've denied them. Denied us because you love us. Now redirect our attention to your love. Capture our imaginations with your beauty. Reveal to us again your matchless, constant desire to rescue people, men like me. And so, Father, we come to you to the table. And our first, our first uh, joy in, 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 in this text, in this, this, this teaching about desire, is to, is to come and get some of your, of, 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 of your love in the table. To know that it's that real and that good and that available to us. We pray for our hearts, for new desires that cannot be conquered because they're desires for you. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, uh, he took bread and broke it. And he said, uh, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a cup of wine and he poured it. And he said, this is the cup of the covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Now take and, take and drink. I broke her here in your presence, the desires of God. I do. In the mysteries of the table. So I invite you to come by faith. If you don't know God, if you don't know God, this is, this is your table. You don't desire him yet. Like that, right? That desire is not controlling. Some of you maybe just have a desire for a desire for God. That's probably going to get you in. <laughs> if, you have, if you have a desire for a desire for God, I'm going, to, I'm going to give a thumbs up to that. If this is about Jesus in your heart. Because I think he gives us a thumbs up. So I invite you, if you... If you believe in Christ, we, we have the Nicene Creed we're going to read, so you're going to know what you, what you have to believe in order to, to come to the table. And you think that you're a sinner and a ruined man. Maybe you, right now, could not tell me, would tell me that your desires have been nothing but wicked. Guess what? Sinners who confess their covetousness. Coveters who confess their covetousness. What, what, what does God say? Come. I desire you. Come. Let this desire replace their desires today. Amen? It's like this, this thing is the application of the sermon. But I'll tell you what, it, it, and, and, and I, I, if you think you're a good woman, though, if you think you're a good person, then I don't think you're worthy of the table. Don't presume on the love of God. If you don't think that you're a, a victim, uh, not a victim, that's something word, um, if you don't think that you're corrupt in this way, give me a break. But good people are forbidden to enjoy the desire of God. Amen? <laughs> it's for sinners. It's for the ruined, the lost, and the broken. Finally, uh, we're in San Francisco, and it's happened, actually. We have people who come regularly and who, who don't share our belief system and watch these things with some, I, you know, I am at the very least amusing and, uh, <laughs> and uh, not particularly boring. <laughs> and, uh, and so... Uh, if you don't agree with our system, you don't agree with our faith system and things we believe, and you think maybe you even think it's terrible that we would condemn people for desire, 
Now look, you know, if you weren't, if I wasn't a Christian, I would think that was awful. But if that's where you're at, we, I ask you just watch us. Watch us, watch us. And maybe someday you'll want what we have. That's my hope in the table. All right, so that's called a fence. Anyway, we're going to uh, read the Nicene Creed together as our statement of faith to which I ask you to assent if you will, if you will partake of the table. After we do that, we will uh, sing a song together. And as, as, after the song's done, well, while the song's going on, we're going to come forward to get the elements and bring them back to our chairs. And we have a bunch of visiting kids today, stuff like that. You know, and I really want to, I really, um, Eric and Meredith, um, we want to be able to take some special time praying over you all. Uh, and so, um, Peter, will you leave that in the back? We'll just pray over the whole family with them. Anybody else? Peter? Or you can't, you can't, right? Uh, Ted, Jordan, will you guys all pray over them? Sarah, will you pray over the Eric and Meredith? Uh, I don't know what we're singing. And if anybody else wants, you show up over there and they'll pray for you. And, uh, and uh, you'll, be, you'll be ministered to. Let's stand. Christian, brother, sister, first press. What do we believe? We, we believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of life, very God of very God, begotten, not created, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary, and was made man. Was also crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended to heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.